0: This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in Dorado Springs. As you know, today is New Year's Eve, and several of you probably have plans. Some of those are plans to sleep as we bring in the new year. Um, But others of you have have a a time to spend with your family, to get excited. You'll see all over the radio, the news, the television, um, talking about what is to come tomorrow, New Year's Day. Tonight, of course, is at midnight New Year's. And the song that I'm singing today is called The Midnight Cry. Of course, it's not about New Year's Eve, but it's about the time whenever Jesus comes again. And I do pray that each and every one of us is ready for whenever that time comes. The sound of a mighty rushing wind, and it's closer now than it's ever been. Oh, fulfilling and the signs of the times they're appearing everywhere I can almost hear the father as he says son go get your children
1: There's that word Selah. Have you ever wondered what that means? That just means chew on that, think on that. And so maybe I just need to say Selah, Selah, depending on how you pronounce it. Think about that at the midnight cry. Father, prepare our hearts for Your Word today. Uh, Help us to be ready for that time. And God, let your word just speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. I know on the Sunday right around New Year's, a pastor is supposed to encourage you to come up with New Year's resolutions so you can be nicer and skinnier and more likable and more healthy and more godly and more prayerful and more faithful, and bolder, and less abrasive, and more generous, more giving, but I'm sorry I've never been big on New Year's resolutions. I probably should be, but I'm not. When it comes to New Year's resolutions, I'm kind of like a man a couple of years ago that said this. My resolution for 2016 is to accomplish all the goals I set in 2015, which I should have done in 2014 because I planned them in 2013. And so if you came to church today looking for a, quote, you can do it, reach for the stars, be all you can be, you know, a positive, encouraging, motivational New Year's resolution message, sorry. You're going to have to go home and listen to Joel or or somebody else for that. You're not going to get it at the Church of God Holiness today, sorry. Now, the topic today may appear to be a bit random uh, for this particular Sunday. Uh, as I was sharing with the uh, the prayer group this morning, I just said it's kind of a strange topic from a strange fellow, and they agreed with me. and kind of hurt my feelings a little bit. Um, but I, I think that if you will hang with me, this topic will make sense right near the end. We're going to try to tie it together uh, to where it, it kind of fits this this particular Sunday. But let me set up today's lesson by giving you four fictitious but very realistic scenarios. The first fictitious scenario involves a man we will call Marty. Let's say that Marty comes to the church office asking for assistance. Mitzi greets him with a friendly smile, as only she can do, and he proceeds to ask her for $175. She rings my office, asks me to come to the front. I go there, introduce myself to Marty. We go in the conference room, close the door. I try to find out his story. Within 20 seconds, my office reeks with the smell of cigarette smoke. I also detect the smell of alcohol on his breath. Marty told me, tells me he's on disability. His car just broke down. He's short on money, needs $175 to pay his electric bill. It will be shut off tomorrow. Question, should we help him and give him $175? Now, I'm going to need, this is going to be a little bit interactive here to begin with. Uh, there's no no right or wrong in this, but I'm just curiosity, and this is a limited amount of information, but based on the information that I'm giving you, how many of you would say yes The church should give them $175. Just raise your hand. Man, you guys are hard-hearted. How many of you say, oh, absolutely not. No way. How many of you don't have a clue? How many of you are already hung over? No, please, please don't, don't. Don't raise your hand on that, okay? Please, no, no, no. Okay, hold that situation in your mind. And now listen to this. Fictitious situation again. Her name is Martha. She comes to the church asking for assistance. She has the typical look and, and without being, you know, judgmental, yet, you know, in this community, we've kind of learned the facial characteristics, the sores of someone who's addicted to math. Well, while talking to me, she gets a phone call on her iPhone, which she proudly identifies as the new iPhone 8. She just got it. She has two little kids beside her that are filthy. She says her kids have been sick. She spent all of her money on medical bills. So she asks for $350 to pay her utility bill. Question. Again, interaction here. How many of you say, yes, we should give her $350 to help her? Just raise your hand. Okay? I mean, You guys are cold-blooded. Most of you are. How many of you say, oh, no, 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 no. No way. She bought the iPhone, whatever. How many of you say, no, probably not? As I told the early service, you know, pastors, sometimes we try to gauge, are we connecting with our crowd? I'm not connecting today. It's very obvious. Here's the third scenario. We'll call him Joe. Joseph. He comes to the church office, asks for assistance. He's been here at least twice in the past year, again, asking for assistance. We helped, helped him one other time. Joseph has a skull and crossbones tattoo on his forehead. His hair's purple. He asks for $75, says he's hungry, needs some food. How many of you say, Well, help him? $75, help him out on some food. Three. How many of you say, Oh, again, no way. No way. Not going there. One more situation. We'll call her Dorothy. Dorothy attends this church. Again, a fictitious situation, but fairly typical. She comes to the church office one day and pours out her heart. She's fallen on hard times. The battery on her car went dead. She had to replace it. The tires on her car are bald, needing to be replaced. She needs $600 to make all of this happen. Now, she chronically runs short on money. The church has helped her with $900 over the past year. Question should we help Dorothy? And I'm not even going to ask for your participation because I know you're not going to give it. Now, now why this type of of lesson on the last Sunday of the year? Well, we've just come through a season. In fact, we've come through an entire year in which we've been flooded with these types of calls here at the church. Some are calls from members of this church. Others are from members of other churches and and others don't go to church anywhere some flat out ask for help others don't necessarily ask for help but they share their story your heart breaks and and you want to just empty your pockets and and go around to the different staff members and take up a collection for them and so frequently we are faced with a decision do we help do we not help and then as I'm around you, I, I I hear the same kind of stories from some of you. It seems like that in our community, a growing number of, of people are becoming more and more needy. And so we're faced more and more with the decision, do we help people that are in need? And so as we close out this year and enter a new year, I feel I felt as if we should talk about this matter and maybe help us find some direction since this is. Very, very prevalent in our community today. Now, there are a couple of scriptures that will initially power our lesson, and then we're going to go to Acts chapter 3. But the the first scripture, just a quick scripture, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 18, and it reads like this, and I want you to listen carefully to the wordage here command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds. Are you ready? To be generous. And willing to share. Now, if you noticed, this scripture was not just casually suggesting, you know, if you get a chance, if you got some extra change in your pocket, if it's convenient, or especially around Christmas time, it'd be a good thing to share and be generous. No, no, this scripture actually is kind of annoying and it goes way beyond the casual suggestion and actually issues a command, command people to be generous and willing to share. Now, here's the second scripture that maybe balances the first Timothy scripture out a little bit. First Thessalonians chapter five, verse 14. And it kind of takes a different angle. It says, brothers and sisters. So talking to the church, we urge you to warn those who are lazy. Uh Oh, encourage those who are timid. Take tender care of those who are weak. And then kind of an annoying statement again, be patient with everyone. Now, before we get into some nuts and bolts on this matter, let me quickly establish three things. First, and this is good news, God loves all needy people, including you. And the reason I included you, and I will also include me as well, because sometimes we think of needy people strictly in terms of financial need, and it does include that. But but there are also other types of needy people. There are those who have physical needs. There are those who have emotional needs. There are those who have spiritual needs. There are those who have social needs. So, So today, let's not just think about the poor person, maybe in another part of town that we would categorize as needy. Rather, let's include ourselves because we're all needy in some sense. But anyway, God loves all needy people and He loves needy people even if the need is caused by laziness or substance abuse. God loves all needy people. Are we on the same page so far? If we are, say amen. Amen. The second thing I want to establish, and, and this is a little bit more difficult for me, but not only does God love all needy people, but we are to also love them as well. So that means we're to love the meth addict. We're to love those who have an addiction to prescription meds. We're to love those who drink and smoke away their check and and leave their kids hungry. That's not always easy to do, but the Bible is clear. We're to love all people. And the third thing I want to establish is this. Even though God loves needy people as they are, He loves them far too much to let them stay that way. You know, God is in the business of change. And that is really the motivating factor behind our lesson today. And and since God has called us to be his hands and his feet, then in a sense, we're supposed to help be the change agents. Okay, just for kicks, before we get into the nuts and bolts of this, let's start things off by analyzing the person beside you. And I want you to look at your neighbor right now. If you don't have a neighbor, that's okay. Look at somebody else, uh, maybe in another row. But I want you to look them over and determine if they appear to be one of those needy people. Okay? And here's what I want you to do. If you don't think they appear to be overly needy, then in a minute I want you to say to them, you complete me. You complete me. That's a compliment. Don't say it yet. But, but if the person happens to seem very needy, then I want you to look them in the eye and say, you deplete me. Okay? So go ahead and look them in the eye. You complete me or you deplete me. Go ahead and do it. All right? Let's roll. As God's children, we should be the very first to respond to the needy. But here's the major problem with this. If we don't respond in the right way, we can actually end up complicating the situation and doing more harm than good. Let me illustrate that with a moment of uh, transparency, transparency from my own life. When I see a need here's kind of progression in my life. I see the need. I generally want to help. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of a softy. You know, I've taken different uh, spiritual gifts, analysis, exams, and, and one of my top spiritual gifts has been the gift of giving. I, I love to give. I, I love to help people. That's part of my nature. So I see the need. Generally, I try to do something uh, sometimes it's slipping them a little bit of cash. Sometimes it's buying lunch for them. Sometimes it's giving them some gas money. But generally, in some way, I try to help. But here's what sometimes happens. On on occasion, and, and not every time, but on occasion, people will come across as being entitled. And they will have this air that they deserve the help. And so when they receive my help, they don't appear very grateful for it. That They come across as, well, you owe this to me. And sometimes they will even come back again and again. And and again, that's not the norm, but it does happen. So what's my next reaction? Well, I don't like myself because of this, but I tend to pull back. And I say, I got burned. And so I'm just not going to help them anymore. I, I mean, they use me. They really don't appreciate what I've done for them. And, and I'm not going to invest any more energy or finances in them and and, and I kind of become hardened to their needs and, and, and I just pull back. Well, what happens then? Well, at times they get upset at me because I've now come across as cold-hearted. And so what ended up taking place is that, you know, because I didn't help in the right way, I created a situation where now they're mad at me or at least uncomfortable around me and my little bit of help... Didn't make much of a difference anyway. And so so even though all of this began with pure motives on my part, yet instead of helping the situation, I've complicated it. There's now a barrier between me and them. And I really don't have access into their lives anymore because they're mad at me. So today I want to talk about how to help people in a way that will truly improve their situation. And there are two words that I think will bring some clarity as to the proper way we should help the needy. And here they are. The first word is relief. The second word is restoration. And there are some people that need relief. And there are others that need restoration. Let's look at the difference. First of all, relief. Relief is immediate and temporary assistance. Relief is needed when, when someone faces an unexpected loss or tragedy. Maybe someone loses a, 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 a job, we, we hand them some money. Someone loses a house to a fire, we buy them some clothes. As Americans, as long as it doesn't require a lot of effort, we're pretty good at offering relief. You know, when, when Joplin was devastated by the tornado, however many years ago it was, um, you know, many churches as well as ours, we were there. Uh, we made at least three and maybe four trips to Joplin to help, you know, chainsaw and just do general cleanup. And, And here's what I found. As long as it didn't involve too much time and effort, we were in. For example, the first time our church went to Joplin, we took a bunch of people. Interest was high. I mean, there was so much excitement as we packed that bus full of people. Chainsaws and all kinds of equipment. Um... We were going to do our part. The second time we went is about half the response. The third time, you could count on one hand the number of people that went. And this is not a criticism, but but this is our nature as human beings. As as long as we only have to commit a few hours or commit a few dollars to a needy project, we're good at short-term relief. And by the way, the church should be leaders in the short-term relief. And when we see someone go through hard times, we should ambush them with the love of God. And, and, and we should say, hey, we're going to help you clean this up. And don't worry about meals for the next week. Or, or we'll watch your kids over the next couple of evenings until you figure out which way is up. And, hey, you lost your job. Our small group is going to take up an offering to help you make your next house payment. That's relief. It's temporary assistance during a tragedy. And so very necessary. Now, the second word is restoration. And and honestly, we're not quite as good at this. Because restoration is not a one time act of helping someone with a few hours or, or helping someone with a few dollars. Restoration is an ongoing effort to restore people to their God given potential. It may be working with someone who is an addict and you help them find accountability. And if they fall off the wagon, you help them rebuild. And after some tough love, they become completely clean and you've helped them be restored to their God-given potential. That's restoration. Restoration is also when you take the chronically insecure person that, that sometimes can get on our nerves. And, and they may not actually say this out loud, but, but through their actions they say, meet my needs, be my friend. And, and they bug you and they bug you and they bug you. Because they don't have any other friends. Restoration is sitting across the table from them and opening God's Word and showing them who they are in Christ and helping get them connected to a small group where there's community and where they find friends. That's restoration. Restoration is always is also dealing with a person who is always broke and and the person that you could give five hundred dollars to right now, but the money would be gone in a heartbeat and it would not improve their financial situation long term. Restoration is not just giving them five hundred dollars, rather sitting down with them and helping them establish a budget. And yes, part of their problem may be the need for more income, but many times the biggest problem is the need for less expenses. And this process may take a long time because bad financial habits are hard to break, but restoration is is working with them, teaching them a new way to think and, and helping them understand that debt is dumb and, 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 and help them understand that they may need to get rid of their credit cards and and start paying cash and live within their means and maybe even get rid of cable and internet and smartphones and and cigarettes and the daily diet Coke at the convenience store and and anything else that is outside of the realm of the three basic needs. You know what those are? Food, shelter, clothing. Food, shelter, clothing. That right there is restoration. You know, the problem today is not that we don't want to help. Most of us want to help. But I think the problem is that most of us want to offer relief. And yes, that's needed in some situations. But other situations don't need relief. They need restoration. Now, today I want to show you a a great story in the Bible that speaks to this. And you'll recognize the story. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a lame man from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate. The one called the beautiful gate so he could beg from the people going into the temple. So this is a needy man. People had been giving him relief all of his life. He would beg. People would give him just enough money to survive. And back then, there were three common places to beg. One was called the highway, and it wasn't like a a highway that we understand today, but it was where there was a lot of foot traffic, maybe the marketplace. The second place where people commonly begged was in front of the homes of wealthy people. They thought that the wealthy people would be more generous. And then, But the third and the most effective place to beg was in front of the temple. And, And this is where most everybody would go at least one time per day. So, so here's this needy man at the temple and, and people were giving him relief in verse three, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for, what do you think he's going to ask them for? Mm -hmm. Scripture says some money, which by the way, is what most people think is their greatest need. If I just had more money, verse four, Peter and John looked at him intently and Peter said, look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting a, what do you think? A gift. Why? Because that's what people had given him all of his life. It was relief. But Peter says something really strange in verse 6. But Peter said, I don't have any money for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And by the way, this is a classic example of giving a hand up instead of a handout. And as he did, the man's feet and ankle bones were healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, began to walk. Then walking, leaping and praising God, he went into the temple with them. So we see right here that restoration begins with Jesus Christ. And let me give you some truth that really hurts. And, you know, at times we think we're experts and, and try to track with me here. We think, well, I've, I've done pretty well for myself financially. You know, I've been successful. And I've been successful in my marriage because I'm still happily married after 20, 30, 40 years. Or I've been successful in raising my kids because they've all turned out right. And, and here's what we begin to think. Okay, if you will manage your money like I did... And if you will be a husband or a wife like I am, if you will discipline your kids like I did, and if you will do this like I did, then you can be like me and be successful as well. Well, would you please understand that even if we've been so fortunate to have experienced a bit of success in life, it's because of God. And if your marriage has lasted, it's because of God. And if your kids have turned out right, it's because of God. And yes, God blesses us when we follow certain biblical principles, but ultimately anything good in our life is because of God. And our goal should never be for people to follow us, but it should be for people to follow Jesus. We're not the savior. Jesus is. Well, let's look at three prayers that we should pray this next year. When people come to you for assistance, when you see needy people, pray these three prayers. I call them three prayers of a restorer. Number one, God, help me give people what they truly need, not just what they want. The lame man said, I want money. That's what he thought he needed, but it wasn't his greatest need. And so when we're surrounded by needy people, we must first of all ask, God, what do they really need? And when they say, well, I need money. God may show you, yes, you you need to give them some money, help them with this payment. Or, or he may say, no, uh, instead, I'd like for you to help them establish a budget. He may want you to begin working with them on biblical stewardship principles. And this hurts a little bit, but he may want you to help them realize that they're SUV that has $550 $550 per month car payments needs to be sold. And right now, they don't need a $35,000 SUV. They need a $3,500 car. You know, that SUV has made them a slave to something they can't afford. And and so even if you give them $550 to help with a payment, it doesn't solve the problem. It merely prolongs the problem. Or, Or this happens right here someone else puts out on Facebook and says I just don't have any friends no one cares I'm all alone well you may want to help them realize that ultimately they need the friend that the Bible says sticks closer than a brother and and then you may need to get, help them get connected to the body of Christ which means more than just going to Sunday morning church but it means becoming an active and a connected part of a small group which incidentally I believe is the best place to find good friends if you're looking for friendship don't go to a bar don't go to a dance I believe a small group, a life group, is one of the best places where you can find friends. And once they're in that small group, help them understand that they're not there to be a drain. They're not there to sap the group with all of their problems. Rather, they're there to add value to the group. And and, and it's amazing how if their focus will get off of themselves and on others, that will change their mindset. But then should they have a need? Then those in the group will also serve them. So pray and ask God so that you can truly see what they need. And yes, there will be those times when you will be tempted to give them what they want because it's easier. I've done it before. I did it the other day. Uh, Not not too long ago, after the second service here, and I had already preached twice and I know this is my only day to work, but anyway, I had uh, worked the morning and I, and I was spent and and I, I did something that I knew I shouldn't do, but there was a person that came in. I'd never seen them before and, and uh, they said they were hungry. They wanted something to eat and, and at least they were honest with me. At least I think they were honest. They said we just were released out of prison for drug charges and so here they are wanting something to eat and... And uh, I I, I knew better. I I knew better. Ernie, I knew better. Uh, But you know what I did? I took some cash out of my wallet, and I gave it to him. I was totally ignorant. But I did it. Sometimes it's easier to do that than it is to do what you know needs to be done. Another illustration, and, and, and this is tragic. This is a true story happened here in Eldreda Springs, but um, someone came to the ministerial association and and, and kind of the system, just so that you know, used to be that we were all, we operated independently. And so when there was a need, somebody would start working the phones, the churches, they'd call every church in town and try to get out of them what they could. And and the other ministers didn't know what the other one had done. And so, you know, there's just, uh, it wasn't a good situation. So we kind of got our heads together and organized. And so now we've got it to where We've got uh, one contact person of the month, so we've got it generally two times, two months out of the year. And so, if somebody calls another church, they'll say, "Well, you need to call the Church of God Holiness, or or, or whatever church it is." But anyway, uh, just a few years ago, somebody called, and thankfully, it wasn't it wasn't our, our our month to be in charge. But they uh, they actually uh, uh, they needed lodging and uh, they were hungry, needed food, and so. Whoever was in charge, and I probably would have done the same thing. Uh, They put them up for the night in the motel, and they gave them some money for food. And this is a true story. This person went out with the money that was given, the cash, bought alcohol. He drank himself to death that night. They found him dead the next morning in the hotel room. He had used money from the churches and bought alcohol and um, lost his life. So I realize that at times it's way easier to throw a bit of cash at people and walk away. But that's not always what they need. Now, second prayer, and I, I believe if you're like me, this is really going to convict you because it convicted me. God, Help me stay out of your way by not continually rescuing people from their consequences. Amen. God set up a system to where we reap what we sow. There are consequences for our good actions as well as consequences for our sinful actions. And you know the scripture in Galatians chapter 6 verse 7 says, Don't be deceived, God it cannot be mocked, for a man reaps what he sows. You sow good seeds, you reap a good harvest. You sow dumb seeds, you reap a dumb harvest. But, but here's what, you know, I, I'm just being kind of transparent with you this morning. Here's what I have a tendency to do too many times. And, and you're probably in this category as well, but I, I believe too many times we try to jump in front of God and rescue people from the consequences of their wrongdoing, which at times sounds spiritual and we feel good about it and say, well, I bail them out. You know, I saved them from this and that. And, and, uh, you know, their electricity was just about ready to be cut off. And, and you know, I jumped in there. I took care of it. Good for me. And we pat ourselves on the back and, and feel that we are God's hands and feet. And But do you realize that sometimes by doing that, we've gotten in God's way of teaching them a lesson? And don't misunderstand me. There are times when we will need to step in and, and give some quick relief and make sure that the electricity is not shut off, but, but let's not get in God's way. Let's make sure that we don't rescue people from their consequences if God is trying to teach them a lesson. And um, let, let me make us a little bit even more uncomfortable since there are just so many amens here today. I'm on a roll, but I, I believe one of the biggest parenting mistakes we make is to rescue our kids from the consequences of their actions. And and, and I, I raise my hand. I've done this. You know, for example, our kids get in trouble at school and what do we do as parents? We storm the school and and we demand to speak with the teacher and the principal and the superintendent. We say, I won't stand for this. I won't allow my kid to be treated this way. And Or, or you know, if our kid loses playing time on the field or in the court, we, we storm the coach's office and you, you know the routine. You've done it. I, I've done it. And teachers and coaches are fallible. They do make mistakes. And and there are times when we may need to confront and clarify what happened. But one of the worst things that you can ever do as a parent is to always take a position against those in authority. You know, whether it's the teacher or the principal or the police officer or the coach or the referee or sometimes even the pastor If that's always your approach, here's what you're doing. You are tearing down the lines of authority that God established. And again, there may be time for confrontation with the authority figure, but do so privately with love and only after a lot of prayer. But also remember this, life is not always fair. Your child won't always be treated fairly. But sometimes that's part of God's plan. Remember, Joseph wasn't treated fairly. He was sold by his brothers into slavery. But that was God's plan to save his family from a famine. And, and, and I want you to know, yes, there's a time for confrontation. But, but in many instances, I believe the best thing we can do for our child is to teach them a life lesson and not storm the gates. Not demand an apology, but use the opportunity to help your child work through a life's lesson and help them understand that there are things that won't be fair and, and teach them to model or, or te- you can help work through them and model a godly attitude. Because if your child doesn't learn this lesson early in life and if you're always there as a parent to raise Cain if something doesn't go his way, what will happen when things don't go his way as an adult? Are you going to storm 3M? Try to straighten out everyone because someone said something hurtful to your son or daughter? So don't make the mistake of trying to bypass the system of consequences that God has established. And the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15 illustrates this. The son said, I want a party. I want my inheritance now and... And the father gave it to him and the son left and went out and slept with women and smoked weed or or whatever they did 2,000 years ago. But one day he woke up and he was in the pig pen and his life stunk. But did you notice what the dad didn't do? He didn't go after him begging and pleading. He loved him enough to leave him in the pig pen. Why? Because he knew the pig pen was God's plan to bring him back. And if the father would have rescued him from the pig pen too early, he probably wouldn't have learned the lesson of you reap what you sow. And I know it's hard to stand back and watch people suffer the consequences, especially when it involves our family. We want to rescue. But may we not get in the way of God when he's in the process of using consequences to wake someone up. Here's the third prayer. God, Help me remember that I'm also in need and you're always the answer. You know, David said this in Psalm 70, verse 5 said, But I'm poor and needy. Please hurry to my aid, O God. You're my helper, my Savior. O Lord, do not delay. You know, when I go to a third world country, I I come back convicted. and, And here's the typical progression of the trip. I arrive in the country and I look around and I I feel good about myself. I mean, I've left the comforts of America to help these poor people that have no toilet, no running water, and I've come to serve them. Good for me. But typically during my stay, something begins to happen within me, and I come to the realization that even though they have nothing materially, yet they possess something I don't have. They have joy despite their poverty. They have a spirit of generosity that causes them to kill one of the few sheep they have, and they serve it to me. They have contentment. And me, in comparison, I have everything, but I want more. And so by the end of my trip, I realize, yes, they are in need, and I have something to offer them. But I'm also in need, and they have something to offer me. And so when you and I realize that we are mutually in need and we're mutually messed up and we mutually need God, then and only then are we putting ourselves in a position to help each other. And before we close, here's something I need you to hear about me. As your pastor, I am nothing but a sinner saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. I need your prayer I need your encouragement I need your support I need your friendship and I'm sorry but I don't have all the answers I'm needy just as you are needy and when we all land there and begin to help each other then suddenly we're not just giving relief but we're in a biblical community doing life together, not in prison, but in small groups, in our community, in our church, restoring each other to our God-given potential. And so as we kick off a new year, you know, when we need to give relief, I pray that we would give relief. but kind of the motivation for our lesson today is that could I challenge you to this year give restoration invest invest your life in someone else this year and I'm not talking about choosing 10, 15, 20, no you know our Lord chose a dozen for three years I'd encourage you to start out with one you probably have your hands full with one. But this year, would you... And yes, there may be those times when you need to just throw a little bit of cash at a person and slip them a little bit and as I've done and as is appropriate. But this year, could we understand that sometimes it's not relief that they need. They need restoration. And could I just challenge you this year to let it be the year that you invest. Because if I understand things right, you know, most everything turns to rust and dust, except there's something that doesn't ever end, and that's the human soul. It lives on forever. And so it's okay to invest in stocks and and bonds and property, whatever. Yeah, that's okay, but really when it comes down to it, Those things will be gone once the last heartbeat takes place. But there's something living within us that never dies. And that's where I want us to invest our lives this next year. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that this year you would help us to give relief when we need to give relief. Lord, those times when we need to slip someone some cash or, Lord, we need to invest a few hours in helping someone and clean their house or take care of the yard or work on their car or do some painting for someone that can't afford it. Lord, I pray that we would do that, that, that short-term relief. Lord, let us be the leaders in that. Let, we we want to just ambush with the love, them with the love of God. But Lord, I pray that you would also help us to restore people to their God-given potential. So Lord, for that person that doesn't know how to handle money, or that person that just chronically is needy socially and doesn't have friends. Lord, for that person that is just so insecure. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to invest in these people and that we would make a difference long term, and Lord, it's going to be more than just a few bucks and a few hours. But, Lord, it means it just means that we're going to be investing our lives in them. And so, Lord, I pray that as we move into 2018, that this would be the year that we would invest in those things that last forever—the human soul. And so, Lord, uh, as we are in such a needy community. Here, there's so much addiction, so much poverty. Lord, there are, there are people that are just hand to mouth. There are people that are upside down and things that they own. And Lord, there are people that, Lord, live in situations that we can't even imagine. Father, I pray that you would just give us the heart of God and be able to have the insight how to help these people. And Lord, the whole time, not lording it over them and not thinking that we have all the answers and if they'll just follow us, then they'll be successful. No, Father, that we would approach this from the standpoint that we're all needy. Lord, we're needy. We're messed up people as well. And we may have it together financially, but we're messed up in other areas. And Father, I pray that if we would just humbly admit that, God, that you would begin doing a work in our heart and in our life. And Lord, that we could see this Community restored back to a community that is thriving. Lord, meeting each other's needs in the name of Jesus. So Father, as we leave this place today, we ask that you would just give us our assignment this week. Lord, give us those people that we should invest our lives in. And Lord, for what you do for us, the way that you're going to help us, the way that you're going to Help us to know when to give relief, when to to give restoration. Lord, we're going to thank you ahead of time. You're an amazing God. We love you. We ask this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. May God give you a good New Year's Eve. Stay safe. Stay sober. uh, Stay right with God.